this. Last week we talked about knowing God as the gracious one, knowing God the gracious one, the Lord who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That verse is like the, um, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Okay, the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Moses asked for God to show him his glory and God revealed himself declaring he caused his goodness to pass before Moses. He and, and put Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passed by proclaiming the glory of who he is. He caused his goodness to pass before him and he proclaimed his name. And that is who God is. And I, it is my desire and prayer that we would be convinced of God's heart, who he is and his heart for us. That we would know him and know his heart for us and know who we are and live from that place instead of living in fear and unbelief and doubt complaining and so on, but to have this heart that believes God, believes his word, believes that he's good and he has good in store for us. So this morning, we're going to hone in on the father's heart, on who God is. We're knowing his heart for us. You see, I think this is very important because I've been a pastor for, for over 10 years and I know that this is something that even the best of saints struggle with, knowing God's heart for them. Oftentimes we struggle. Is God really for me? Because these circumstances are really painful. This really hurts. I need to be reminded, God, that you are for me, that you love me. And so we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them there to Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll have the, the words up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that these things that were written about the Israelites were written for our examples. Um, when we read through the book of Numbers and we read some of the responses in Exodus, so we have some positive examples in the Bible and we have some negative examples. And God will use both. Uh, you, can, you can choose to be hard-hearted like Pharaoh was and God will still use your example to display his power and his glory. Uh, or the Israelites, you can be rebellious like the Israelites, and he'll still use your example, but as a warning to other people, don't go that way. <laughs> don't, do, don't do what they did. And so that's what we're going to look at today. They got God wrong. The, many of the Israelites got God wrong. They missed the heart of God, and they came to this point where they believed a lie about who God is. They believed that God hated them. That God brought them out of the wilderness to destroy them. And that's what we're going to look at today. Deuteronomy 1. Then we set out. So in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is giving some speeches here. He's going to die. He knows he's going to die. Um, and and he's, he's preaching. He's, he's exhorting the Israelites, reminding them that God's been good. God's been faithful. And, and he exhorts them to be faithful and to love him. Uh, actually, one of the, the, the most important verses in the Bible, what Jesus said sums up the whole Old Testament law and the prophets, is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Deuteronomy, this is actually a book that Jesus quoted. It, it was, it's highly quoted and referenced throughout the Bible. Books that's most quoted from the Old Testament. Jesus quoted it when he was facing temptation. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he fought with verses from, guess what book? Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy is powerful. This book is weighty. As you read through it, there are some some rich insights here, and we're going to dig into a couple here. So Deuteronomy 1, then we set out from Horeb and went, went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw. And on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us. That, that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. And the thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up to the hill country and came to the valley of Escrol and spied it out. And they took it in their hands and some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Why are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of Anakim there. And I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt. Before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way you went up until this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out, seek you out a place to pitch your tents in, in the fire by night and the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And all God's people said... Amen. What powerful words there. This Moses is giving a recap of what happened in the wilderness. God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They all they ever knew, this generation all they ever knew was slavery and bondage and and life was hard and bitter and difficult. And God heard their cry. He saw their affliction and he raised up Moses and God delivered them. He he sent 10 plagues on Pharaoh in Egypt and, and he he took them out. He took out the, the, the world's greatest superpower of the day. And then lastly, he he destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. And, and destroyed Pharaoh and his army who were coming after the Israelites. God had delivered them and God was bringing them into the promised land. And it was about an 11-day journey that turned out to be 40 years. Can you, can you just imagine? And any husbands uh, know what that feels like? You know, you, you have a 15-minute journey and it turns into a 45-minute journey. Go in circles. You miss, you miss the turn. Um, it's frustrating, okay? That, that gives opportunity for complaining and frustration in the car. Oh, you sh- 
You know, where's my navigator at? <laughs> I call my wife my navigator. Where's my navigator at? <laughs> so there's this blame shifting that starts taking place, this complaining, this, we're late, the pressure's on. Well, this turned into a very difficult experience for them. And, and Deuteronomy 8 says that God brought them to the wilderness to humble them, to test them, to show them that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And God, God tried them. He tested them. And it wasn't to harm them. It wasn't to hurt them. It was for their good. It was, it was to bring them to himself. And it didn't have to be 40 years the generation, the first generation didn't have to, to die off. It didn't have to happen like that. But they rebelled against God. And they missed the heart of God for them. And so here's where we're going today. God is 100% for his people. He is faithful to his people. And he fights for his people. And we must trust and obey him and get to know his heart for us if we are to experience all that he has for us. He is for us 100%. And if there's any doubt within you that he's not for you, then we need to look at some stuff today. We need to look at some past history of how God has been good to you in your own life. And then we need to look at the Bible. We need to look at biblical history. Actually, if you haven't read it yet, I posted this week uh, an article on our Facebook page, uh, Why I'm Convinced That God Is Gracious. And I gave five reasons there why I am convinced and I believe and convinced that God is gracious. He's a good God. And then right after that, I just posted last night something I posted a while back, three lies that we believe about the goodness of God. And so if you want to read that, I encourage you to check that out if this is something you struggle with. I know this is something that many and some of the best of saints have struggled with, believing that God is for us, believing that God is with us, that God is for us, that he really loves us, that he doesn't just tolerate us and put up with us, but he actually delights in us and enjoys us and loves us and cares for us. And that love is so much greater than we can even comprehend. That's why the Bible, that's why the Apostle Paul prays for the church that by the power of the Spirit, they would get it. That they would know, that they would be convinced that God loves them, that God is for them. Israel had a problem here, believing this. Unbelief, the unbelief of the Israelites kept them from the promised land. They, they didn't believe God's heart. They didn't believe his promises. Um, they, they sent spies into the land. They went to go check it out. And if y'all, if y'all read your, the Bible reading plan in Numbers, you'll remember that 10 of the spies brought back a report that was negative. They spread their fear and their doubts, and it melted the hearts of their brothers, the other Israelites. And all of a sudden, everybody's afraid, and everybody, out of that fear... They start complaining. They start murmuring and complaining like, God, why'd you bring us out? We were better off in Egypt. And can you just, can you just imagine for a moment what when they said that, when they responded like that, what they were saying? Our fears and our doubts tend to lead to some very irrational thinking when we give ourselves, when we allow fear to rule and dictate our lives, we start thinking some very twisted, perverted things about God and about other people that's not even true. And God wants to deal with that in our hearts. And a heart of faith will overcome that. And so they were fearful. 
And and yet there and I love this. We talked about this Wednesday night. Kevin did, and in our discussion groups, Caleb and Joshua were different. They they had a different spirit. Instead of spreading fear to the camp and discouraging and melting the heart of the other Israelites, Joshua and Caleb, they put courage in. They tried to, at least. They tried to encourage the people, saying, we can do it. The land is good, but we can take it just as the Lord our God has promised us. We can do it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. We can, we can do this. God, God said we can do this. He's with us. He's for us. If he delights in us, we, we're going to take this land. A land flowing with milk and honey. From one perspective, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. From another perspective, it's a land with a bunch of cows and beehives. And a land full of giants. And there's no way with, with huge cities and fortresses that there's no way we can get this. This is impossible. But it depends. It depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at your own ability and you're looking at um, the, 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 the power of the enemy or you're looking at the greatness of your God. Like David, when David faced Goliath, he said, you come against me with a sword and a javelin, but... I come against you in the name of the Lord. He was looking at the greatness of his God, and that will help us overcome our fears when we really know who God is, and then we know his heart for us, when we know how great and powerful and sovereign and awesome and glorious he is, and we know how good and loving and kind and gracious he is. He cares for us. He doesn't just tolerate us. He cares for us, and God wants to deliver his people from their fears. David said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. You see, the command to not be afraid is a command that is given more than any other command in the Bible. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Over and over throughout the Bible, we're told, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's only one person that we're told that we should fear in a healthy way. God. And the truth is that if we don't learn to fear God in a healthy sense and respect and have all for who he is, the all-powerful, the almighty, then we will give in to the fears of death and evil and man, the fears of failure, the fears of harm uh, and even success and all kinds of other fears that, that will, the fear of sickness, the fear of pain, we'll just, we'll give into it and, and fear will, will suffocate us. And, and keep us from experiencing the joy and the peace that God has for us here in the land of the living. So may we be those who overcome our fears and face them. And not spread fear to our families, to our friends, to our church. May we be those who encourage, who put courage in others because we're, we have God's perspective. And we're speaking what he says about us, what he's promised us. Amen. And so, so there's fear, and then there's rebellion. Verse 26, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. I put a donkey, a stubborn donkey up there, just, just to kind of give us a picture of, of rebellion and what that looks like to God. When God says, hey, do something, and we're just, our heels are, are bucked in, we're not going. We, we've decided we're not going to obey. And it's, it's, it's all the fear and the unbelief and the, the murmuring and complaining. It's all tied in together with, with this rebellion. It's, there's, there's, 
you know, they, they were fearful, they were afraid, they didn't think, and then they, they, they believed the lie about God. They didn't believe who God said he is. Verse 28 and 29, it says, Our brothers have made our hearts melt. The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim. And then I said to you, do not be in dread or be afraid of them. Don't, do not fear. Do not be in dismay. Fear God instead. The next thing is murmuring and complaining. And I'm sure this, this isn't relevant to anybody here today. Actually, this was one of the biggest reasons why I thought that we should preach about this. Because in our American culture, this is the norm. This is acceptable. This is normal for us Americans when we don't get our hamburger in two minutes to start complaining to the person in the window who's just trying to make a living and do their job. We are a murmuring, complaining people. And and again, these things are written for us, for examples, for us, negative examples if we want to choose the path of complaining and murmuring, then we will join the Israelites in the wilderness for as long as it takes for us to pass the test of be, becoming a grateful person who believes God and knows the heart of God and obeys the heart of God, obeys God's command. Anybody want to join them for that? Yet, in spite, I love, in spite of all that, God was merciful and gracious. God heard their cries. God was with them in the wilderness. You see, the wilderness time, times of testing, is the norm for every saint. Whether you're the Israelites, whether you're Joseph, whether you're Abraham, whether you're, whether you're Jesus. You know, Hebrews 5 says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Jesus passed every test. Amen? Aren't y'all glad that, that he passed every test? Like, there's nobody who aced every test that he experienced in this life. Like Jesus. And you know what? We, when we put our faith and trust in him, we get his 100. We get his righteousness accounted to, to our grade, to our account, our stance and relationship before our position before God. Isn't that cool? So here, here's a test. When, whenever you're faced with the wilderness, whenever you're faced with testing, whenever things aren't going your way, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be thankful? Because we're told in the Bible to give thanks in all things and for all things. In all things and for all things. That means there's no time that's acceptable to be ungrateful, a, a powder, a whiner, a murmur, a complainer. There's no time for the saint, for the child of God. But yet there are times when we feel justified that this is my time right here. What was done right there was wrong. They did it wrong. They didn't do it right. They didn't do it on time. They did it to me. That was just wrong. And then we complain and, and we, we, we spread that neg- – okay, I, w- I want to read these quotes here from uh, James McDonald. We spread the negativity uh, through our complaining. James McDonald wrote a book called Lord Change My Attitude. Is that – before it's too late. I forgot to put the ending on there. Lord Change My Attitude Before It's Too Late. Does that sound like a book anybody needs to read? <laughs> don't, don't nudge the person next to you. Uh, so James McDonald says this in one of his chapters there on complaining. He says, those who choose murmuring and complaining as their lifestyle will spend their lifetimes in the wilderness. God has a, has a, a place of, <laughs> for the complainers, the murmurs. And, and, and he wants to, to get us to a place where we, we become grateful and thankful and that, that we believe him, we believe his heart. James McDonald says, uh, complaining releases negative energy in a way that provides 
momentary relief from a situation or a circumstance that may be frustrating, that is why we find it so hard to resist. Complaining is an attitude choice that, if left unchecked, will wither our capacity to experience joy and genuine thankfulness. Complaining will wither your capacity to experience joy, to experience the life, the good life that God has for you. Are you somebody like Joshua and Caleb who sees a land flowing with milk and honey? Are you somebody who you, you see the promised land as cows and beehives and a bunch of giants? I ain't going there. Send me back to Egypt. They, I get three meals and a place to stay. Send me back to Egypt. Huh? God said God was good to them and he had promised good for them. They believed a lie about God. And that's why they complained. When we believe a lie about God, when we believe that he's against us, that he's not for us, then, then we'll do the same. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Just think about, think about how radical this statement is and how untrue this is. I mean, somebody needs to counsel these folks and let them know. Actually, Moses is preaching to him right here in this verse. He's telling them, this is wrong. This, this, is, this is not true. And then he defends God and, and how God had loved them well. Because the Lord has hated us. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like, God, this is happening right now because you just don't like me. You just don't love me like you love so-and-so. You ever feel like that? You don't have to raise your hand. God knows. God knows. Because you hate it. That, that, is, that is so untrue. That, that's such an offense. That is such a... Parents, can you imagine you go on a date night and you get a babysitter and you go have a great date night with your husband and wife and y'all just, y'all come back, just, you know, got that, you know, got, got that pep in your step and you're wanting to see how everybody's doing and you get home and all the lights are out and it's quiet. And you're wondering where everybody's at, where the kid's at. And you hear some talking. And the kids are in the laundry room with the flashlight on, the lights off. And you overhear them talking about, man, I wish God, I wish dad would just get a better job and really provide for us. Because we don't have any good toys. And, and, and then, mom, I wish, I wish mom would stop giving us all those rules. She's so harsh and unkind and she needs to just give us a break. And, and, and so, parents, you're like just listening in to your kids just complain and murmur about your parenting style and how, how bad of a job you're doing as a parent to provide, to teach, to lead, to love and care for them. How would you feel as a mom or a dad if you walked into the house after having a great date night and you hear your kids just going off on mom and dad, on you, and then you hear it? By the way, God heard their complaining. God says, I, I've heard what they've said. Nothing gets by God. You can't even like do a little whisper and, and, and get by God. He knows. He knows what's going on right here. If you're, you know, some of us are good at com complaining just in here. Like it doesn't come out maybe in words, but it like all of a sudden you shut down. Okay. And I know this from experience. This is, this is my, all of a sudden I'm quiet. I'm just, I'm not going to let that come out, but it's here. It's brewing here, but you get me under enough pressure. It just might come out. <laughs> It's like a bug. If you want to see what's inside of it, you squish it. 
you know, you get us under some pressure and you see what's inside. You see the junk come out. It just comes out, whatever's in there. And so we got to deal with it. God sees it and he knows it even when it's, when it's brewing right here within us. And your spouse knows it too. They can see it on your face, right? They can see it in your body language when, when you're not doing well, right? So they murmured and complained in their tents. And you know what? God heard. God heard what they were murmuring and complaining about in their tents. They were murmuring and complaining about God's parenting style. And just, this is, this is crazy. They were slaves in Egypt. They, life was bitter. Life was hard. They, 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 they didn't have freedom to rest when they wanted to. They didn't have freedom to, to celebrate holidays and do all the things that, that a free person can do. They said that the reason God brought them out of Egypt was to destroy them because he hated them. I mean, just think about that. That's t- totally opposite. God, in his love, Exodus 2, he heard their, their cry. He saw their affliction. And it says, and he knew. He knew. He, he cared about what was going on with the Israelites. And he did something about it. He delivered them. He delivered them with a mighty hand. He, he knocked out Pharaoh and his army. And I don't understand why, why they're all of a sudden afraid of these giants because God already like took out the, the, the world power of the day, Egypt. I don't know if there was a, a greater army or a greater nation stronger than Egypt at that time. And they saw God knock Pharaoh out, drowned him, destroyed him and, and because of his hardness of heart. That was an expression of God's love for them. So God had been good to Israel, and he promised good for Israel. He fought for Israel. Notice what Moses says here. He says, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. God fought for them. He's a mighty warrior. And he fights for us today. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. They're standing at the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and the army is behind them. They're between a rock and a hard place, right? And, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. How's that? God fought for them. Moses sticks the staff in the water, parts the Red Sea. And they walk through on dry ground and they're delivered. And then all of a sudden they're praising the Lord. They're Exodus 15. We got the first worship song in the Bible and they're, they're singing about God. Who is like our God strong and mighty in battle. They're praising them with the tambourines. They're just, it's like Sunday morning, you know, they're just charismatic and they're just like 400 years. They were in bondage and now they're free. But it didn't take long at all until they were hungry and they were thirsty. And what did they do? They murmured and complained. They, just three days before that, they walked through the Red Sea and then they're murmuring and complaining about God not taking care of them. And Moses, and Moses cries out. God shows him a tree. He throws this tree, this log into this water and it turns it from bitter to sweet. God gives them manna from heaven. God just... Over and over gives them grace in the wilderness, even in the wilderness, even in their difficult times, even in their struggles. God is there with them, showing up, providing, showing his love for them. 
So he fights for, for, he fought for Israel and he promised good for Israel. God had a good land flowing with milk and honey and he wanted to bring his people into it. But they were like, like a, like a donkey that was stubborn. You know, in Psalm 32, we're told, don't be like a donkey. Don't be like a mule. Don't be, um, if you got the King James, well, I'm not even going to say it. Um, don't be like that. Don't, don't be like that. Uh, that don't be like a horse that needs a, a bit or bridle to 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 direct it. Um, don't be stubborn, rebellious <clears throat> in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way you went until you came to this place. So just like a father carries a son or a daughter, God had carried Israel. They couldn't deliver themselves. They didn't, have, they didn't have the swords and the equipment to take on Pharaoh in, the army, in Pharaoh's army. And God parted the Red Sea for them. And then God brought them through the wilderness. And God protected them. God was with them. God was for them. God was showing his kindness, his faithfulness, and his steadfast love to them. Even in the wilderness. God carried them as a, as a father carries their son. Um, those of you parents, you know. Know what it's like when you're you're in a parking lot, you're going somewhere, and you're in a parking lot, and you got your kids, you know, running around. I, I got three little ones now, and so I'd really know. And so uh, there there are times when I just have to scoop them up and sweep them and pick them up and just carry them so that they don't get ran over. And then you know they're they're not as fast as everybody else. The little ones aren't as fast as everyone else. And so I pick them up as a dad, and I take care of my my kids, protect them, and carry them. God carried Israel like a father carries his son. Or uh, another way that, that Moses put it, um, uh, he bore him up as like, like an eagle, as on eagle's wings. Um, he, cared for his, he cared for his people and he cares for his people today. Amen. And I want to convince you that he really cares for you. That he is really, that his heart for you is full of grace and mercy. That he's not against you. That he doesn't want to destroy you. That he doesn't delight in your pain and your struggle. That he delights in doing good to you. And he has good for you. And he's promised good for you. And you know what else he's promised? He's promised to work together any evil and harm and all things together for your good. Amen? So he had been good to Israel. He promised to be good to Israel. By the way, I, I thought this was fitting to preach on this before I preach on the Shema next week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I, I think it's important that if, if we do love God like he demands us to love him with all of our being, then we need to know that he loves us 100%. That he is 100% for us and not against us. We need to be convinced of that. Lastly is that God loved and he chose Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the people that the Lord your God set his love on you. And chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath 
that he swore to his fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. This is who God is. He is faithful and he is loving. He is gracious and compassionate. And I don't think I can communicate that enough to us, church. I don't think I can tell you enough that God loves you. Yet I know that when I, tell, I told a lady this last night, she, she was having a hard time at the grocery store and her son, 12-year-old son has um, autism, she, she said. And, and, and they were just having kind of a stalemate moment. And I just walked up to her and gave him a gospel track. And I said, I just want you to know that God sees you and he loves you and he cares for you right now. And her name's Shanti. Lord, I just pray for her and just grace. And you surround Shanti and draw her and her son close to yourself. God sees us. He loves us. He cares for us. He's faithful. He's consistent. You can depend on him. And so just think how God feels, saints, when we get him wrong and we, we believe a lie about who he is. That, that's probably one of the most painful things for a parent to experience. That a parent who really genuinely loves their children, but their children have been deceived thinking that mom and dad are not for them. Can you, can you believe that? I mean, James 1, in the context of temptation and trials says in verse 16, James 1, 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, for every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, of whom there's no variation or shadow from turning. He doesn't change. So don't be deceived. In the context of going through trials, going through the wilderness, in the context of being tempted by sin and drawn away to go after sin, don't be deceived thinking that God is not good and that he's holding out on you because he is good. And his goodness should lead us to repentance. Even today, as we talk about it, if any of us have been murmuring or complaining or have lacked gratitude May his goodness lead you to just a, a place of a change of mind. He's been kind and gracious to us. Amen. He's a good God. He's faithful to all his promises. Jeremiah 31, 2 and 3 says this. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. They found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God has loved his people and he's committed to loving his people. New Testament. So this is for us. Those of us who live under the, the new covenant, a better covenant, covenant of grace, New Testament, Romans 8, 32, it says, If he who did not spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us, how will he not with him freely give us all things? So the logic is if God didn't hold back Jesus, his only begotten son, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
If he didn't hold back Jesus, but he gave him up for us, Paul says, how will God not also give us everything else? He will imply, he he implies in that he will. There is promised goodness for the people of God. There is a promised land for the people of God. There is a kingdom that, that cannot be shaken, an everlasting kingdom, a world of perfect love and peace and joy where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow. We have that to look forward to, saints. God has been good. May you and I taste and see that he's good today and may we put our trust in him psalm 910 says those who know your name will put their trust in you the lord is a refuge for the oppressed and he doesn't forsake anyone who seeks them seeks him and those who know his name what's his name what what did he reveal his name to be to moses the lord Yahweh, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. And those who know him and know his ways will put their trust in him. When you know the heart of God for you, you will trust him. You will draw near to him. You will avoid complaining and accusing him of not being good. When you know his name and you know his heart and you know his ways. Like Moses, and I love the contrast with Moses. When the Israelites complained and murmured, they complained, Moses cried out. Okay, Moses, he made, God made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Moses got a glimpse of his glory. God spoke as a, as a man speaks to his friend, like face to face, directly with Moses. Moses had this tight relationship with God. And so when times got tough, instead of complaining, he cried out. Instead of tempting God, saying, God, give us some meat. We want some meat. Where's the, where's the steak at? Potatoes. Moses trusted God. They tempted God. Moses trusted God. They complained against God. Moses cried out to God. And if we get God's heart wrong, if we get him wrong, we, we, we misunderstand who he is, we're going to be like the Israelites. And God forbid that that be so. May we be those who praise God even in the wilderness, even in the testing. May we trust that he's good. May we, like Job, when Job lost everything, Say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And you know what I love? If you, again, if you, if you stop in the middle of the book of Job, or at the, even the beginning, you may not come to the conclusion that God is good and merciful and gracious. But James 5.11 tells us, you, we've seen the intended purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is merciful and gracious. When we look at Job, God is merciful and gracious. God restored. God redeemed. God worked through his suffering god was with him through all that god is merciful and gracious and you know what you might be in the middle of the wilderness you might be going through suffering and trial right now in your life but god is not through with your story he's not through with you and he is so awesome at taking bitter circumstances and making them sweet amen so in closing here just three three things i want to look at and the first one is to overcome your fears and the obstacles in your life by looking at and depending on the greatness of your God. See, each of us have giants of our own, obstacles of our own, trials of our own, whether it be health, 
whether it be a relational issue, whether it just be the day that we live in politically, when we read the news and we hear about the crazy things that are going on in the world today, it is easy to be struck with fear and our hearts melt within us as we hear the reports of CNN and and so on. Face those fears. Get God's perspective. Make sure that you're not listening to just one perspective, especially if it's a godless perspective with lacking a biblical worldview. We need a strong biblical worldview, a, a framework to which we perceive the whole world around us. Otherwise, if we don't have a strong biblical worldview, we are going to be slaves to fear. So overcome those fears. Face those fears. We all have them. Even the most courageous of us have them. And David, again, Psalm 34, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. So you want those fears to be overcome in your life? Seek the Lord. Get his heart. Get his perspective. Know him. Don't let fear wither your capacity to enjoy the life that God has given you. Don't let fear wither the capacity of your family to be able to enjoy the life that God has given them. Fear puts pressure on our soul and then it puts pressure on those around us when we let it overwhelm us and control us it puts pressure on others around us negative pressure that keeps people down so face those fears overcome those fears let's fight together let's be those who encourage one another by speaking god's perspective like a joshua or a caleb speaking what god says what god has promised what god can do who god is he is great there's no one like him let's get a good glimpse of him you know, um, you know, if you were walking home from school and there were bullies coming after you, they were going to get you. But you knew dad was at home. And if you could just get to the front porch, you'd be all right. You know, you might feel a little bit afraid right at first while they got you on the other street, next street over. But then once you get to your front porch and you know dad's in there, all of a sudden you're going to have some confidence to stand up to those bullies, right? Because my dad is in there. Come on. What's up, buddy? Come on. Hey, dad, come here. I need your help. What's up? I like what Kevin said on uh, Wednesday night. Everybody got the game plan till they get punched in the mouth. Mike Tyson. That was good. Couldn't stop laughing from that. That, was... that doesn't even fit. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Everybody got the game plan till they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> So I'm over here talking about overcoming your fears. And I might get punched in the mouth today with fear. But you know what? I'm going to bring them to God. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to fight with the promises of God, with getting a glimpse of who he is. Amen? No matter what comes my way. Believe that God is good and that he loves you and he's for you. We're told in Scripture that his perfect love casts out fear. So don't only get that he's great and big and strong and that he's able to to take on any enemies that are coming against you, but also get that he's also willing and he wants to and he cares about you and he will fight for you. You need both. You need to know he's big and strong and sovereign and awesome and great, but you also need to know he's good and gracious and loving and kind and 100% for you and me. 
And remember all the ways that God has displayed his love and his faithfulness to you. Deuteronomy has this theme. Over and over, he says, remember, 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 remember what God has done. Remember the promises. Remember the covenant. Remember, 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 remember. We are such a forgetful people. We need to be reminded. Those of you who are parents know that you have to remind your children. If you're going to teach them something, you've got to remind them, remind them, repetition, remind them, remind them. We're told, and Peter says in his, his epistle, he says, it's not tedious for me to remind you of these things. We need to be reminded, reminded over and over and over. Love the Lord your God. Trust the Lord your God. He's good. He's faithful. He's sovereign. He's awesome. He has good promises for you and so on. He's overcome. Jesus has overcome the grave. He's overcome the enemy. He's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. We need to be reminded of this, that we have a blessed hope before us with God. So remember the ways that he has displayed his love and faithfulness to you. God, Moses reminds the Israelites, God delivered you from Egypt. He had compassion on you. He delivered you. He set his love on you. And then he's provided for you in the wilderness, even though you had a bad attitude about getting with some food or something to drink. He provided for you. He showed you grace. 